We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place exclusive interviews with players coaches and team executives streaming live and always available on demand stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the odyssey app good morning happy sunday it is hardline here on news radio 930 wben joe beamer and brenda alacy brenda is off recovering and we hope uh, she is back here as soon as possible uh, we've got a stacked show for you today so let's kick it off our first guest is former erie county executive and current new york state gubernatorial candidate joel giambra joel good morning Hi, Joe. How are you? I'm doing all right. Long time, no talk. Um, I know. Last week, we talked with Lee Zeldin, who is also uh, putting his head in for the Republican nomination. Uh, so, Joel, you're looking at this. I believe it's your second time looking at the uh, governor's mansion. Uh, what is it in New York State that makes you want to run? Well, Joe, obviously, I'm tired of the progressive democracy that we've seen uh, during this last budget uh, deliberation, uh, where you know taxes were raised over four billion dollars, uh, new programs were established, uh, monies for undocumented immigrants, where we have people who came here legally who are still waiting for their unemployment. Um, I have been trying to convince the Republican leadership for a number of years that we need to change the playbook. I mean, we haven't elected a Republican statewide since George Pataki and Dennis Vacco. So the playbook that we've been using, from my perspective, is antiquated, and we need a new playbook. And what I have suggested is something that, unfortunately, some people in the Republican leadership have uh, uh, reacted as revolutionary, and I think it's evolutionary. What I'm suggesting is that the best way to find the most appropriate candidate to beat the Democrat in November of next year is to have a Republican open primary uh, and in, uh, open the voting process to non-affiliated voters. Uh, right now in New York State, Joe, Democrats represent 50, 50% of the electorate. Um, Republicans uh, represent 22%, and unaffiliated blank voters are 23%. So we've now uh, seen a situation where unaffiliated voters exceed Republican voters. So by opening up the Republican primary to the unaffiliated voters will we'll give us a better idea who the strongest, who the most effective and appropriate candidate is to face whomever the Democrat is next year. So, Joel, you're not saying open it up to everyone. You're saying open it up to Republicans plus those who do not belong to a party. So it wouldn't be like Democrats could vote in the Republican primary, correct? 
Correct. This is a modified version of some of the, the primaries that uh, take place across the country. And this will prevent the Democratic Party, if you will, uh, from infiltrating, as some uh, of the leaders in the Republican Party have been concerned about. So by limiting, limiting just to unaffiliated voters, most of them probably uh, are former Republican and Democratic voters who have decided, for whatever reason, they were disenchanted with either party. So in order for the Republican Party to increase its ranks is to find a candidate who uh, could be supported by that group, that constituency. Because when the Democrats far outnumber Republicans, if the Republican candidate, Joe, is unable to attract Democrats and unaffiliated voters, they can't win. And that's what I'm saying. If we want to win... We have to change the playbook. And you cited in your letter to Nick Laneworthy um, what happened in, with the Republican Party of Connecticut. So for the Republican Party to do this, they wouldn't have to take the state to court, right? They have every legal right to open the primary to who they want to open the primary to? Correct. The legal research I've done because of the Connecticut case, the precedent has been established that the Republican Party in New York State would only need to change its bylaws doesn't have to go to court. It doesn't have to have an act of Congress or the state legislature. All it requires is the political will to change course and to do something different, which might change the outcome. Now, in this letter, you also uh, said, and you just said it a few minutes ago, about the candidate or the party either being too far to the right. That's also something you said in 2018. Do you think the Republican Party, I know this is a chance for them to do it, do you think they will uh, pick someone or go more to the middle? Because as we've seen in New York State, the further right you are, the least chance you have to win a statewide election. Right, so as you say, we, we have to realize we are not in Alabama, we are not in Texas. This is a very blue democratic state. And we have to find a candidate who appeals to the masses. And, you know, because of Andrew Cuomo's problems, um, you know, they've left us an opportunity, the Republican Party, an opportunity uh, to do something we haven't done since the late 70s, elect a Republican statewide. Um, but we're going to um, if you will, um, negate the opportunity by running a candidate who's to the right, very conservative, who has the support of the conservative party, which to me has been a hindrance to the Republican Party for a long time. Um, and to, again, find that candidate who best represents uh, the independents and the blanks if we're going to succeed. Um, Cuomo, you know, when nobody knows whether he's going to run or not, I personally think that unless he gets charged with a crime, he's going to run for office. Do you think the Republican Party's chances are better with uh, Governor Cuomo? Or do you think if if it's that moderate, if it is you running as the Republican Party, regardless who they put, the Republicans have a better chance because they haven't gone far to the right? So I think we have to stay away from being a far-right party. Uh, we need to come back to being a party of being fiscally conservative. I think we need to be a party that is socially tolerant of other people uh, and their lifestyles. And I also think we need to shed this identity of being a Trump party. Being a Trump party in New York State is a prescription for disaster. Um, You know, the president, um, unfortunately, has a very, very negative uh, opinion of 
all all the voters in New York State, even among Republicans, Joe, I've seen recent polling where Republicans have even started to leave the Trump column uh, after the January 6th insurgents. So we've got to realize that we can no longer be a party that's uh, attached to the personality of Donald Trump, but we need to be a party that stands for principles and policy change. Before we talk about that policy, I do want to ask one question off of that. Do you think more people in the Republican Party want to separate themselves from Donald Trump, but don't do so out of fear more than loyalty? Well, there is obviously fear. I mean, Donald Trump, let's face it, much like Andrew Cuomo, is a bully. And, you know, there are people who are fearful of him and his money. Uh, he was able to raise you know, vast amounts of money uh, between leaving the White House and today um, for various reasons. So there are a lot of people in the Republican Party who are afraid that he will be vindictive and use that money to hurt Republican candidates in a Republican primary. Um, it's, it's, you know, I think it's time to stop being afraid. It's time to fight fire with fire and talk about issues and policy change uh, and the problems facing New York State and the exodus of people and the high taxes. Um, that's going to get the voters' attention, not whether you know you, you support or not support Donald Trump. And, and speaking of those issues, the uh, first one that comes to mind, uh, Joel, is last time in 2018, you did bring up a marijuana legalization plan. Well, now we've seen in Albany a marijuana legalization plan. What do you think of the current plan in Albany? Where did it go right and where did it go wrong? Well, it's long overdue. Uh, I've been talking about this for you know over 20 years, the whole issue of prohibition, and that prohibition doesn't work. We've known that's a failed public policy. Um, I think the bill that they passed has some very serious flaws. Uh, I'm concerned that the price of adult use of marijuana through the legalized process is going to be so much higher than the price of the black market that we will have defeated some of the purpose, which was to eliminate the black market and uh, take this product away from uh, young children who are getting it from street dealers who don't check ID and don't check proof. Um, So price is a very important piece of whether or not we're going to be successful in eliminating the black market and having better control over who gets marijuana and who doesn't. And that price has a lot to do with the high tax they would put on marijuana, correct? Well, right now, as I can tell, there's a 13% new tax on marijuana, then the existing 8% tax, and then you're going to have an additional tax based on the amount of THC in the product. Um, And then there there probably will be other regulations that will drive the cost up. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see what the final regulations are. Uh, that are promulgated and the effect it's going to have on the price of uh, legalized adult-use marijuana. And speaking of tax, Joel, you know, we've seen, especially the last year, but it didn't just start with COVID, we've seen a lot of people leaving New York State, and the number one reason is not the weather, it's the high taxes. So how do we start to tackle the high taxes while we have an unrealistic budget in Albany? Well, Joe, again, the budget that was passed this last time is unsustainable. Um, we had this one-time largesse from the federal government. Uh, all of that was spent and then some. An additional $4 billion of new taxes is going to drive more people out of New York State. When you look 
at the combined tax obligation for state and local taxes in New York State on a per capita basis. We are either first or second in the nation uh, on what we charge people to live and do business in New York State. So as long as that's the case, we will not be able to return the Empire State to greatness. And how do you reduce expenses? It's not rocket science. All right. First of all, you have to have the political courage to do it. And secondly, you have to look at all of the redundant, inefficient levels of government and governance that we have in New York State. One example, every year, we, the state legislature and the governor put $1 billion plus more into education funding. And it's ironic that we keep putting more money into the system and the test scores are going down. And at the same time, we still have about, if I'm not mistaken, 635 school districts in New York State. You know, why 635? There's some number between 1 and 635 that makes more sense. And if we can get to a point where we can consolidate and merge school districts, there will be billions of dollars of administrative saving. That's just one example. And there are hundreds of those similar type examples where we can reduce spending by making government work better, smarter, and cheaper. Joel, uh, talking about district consolidation, do you think a plan of having one district per county or two districts per county uh, is more of the way to go in New York State? Well, Joel, just choose Erie County as an example. We have 29 separate school districts in Erie County. Now, I don't know if one is the right number, but I certainly know that there's some number between one and 29 that makes more sense. Maybe it's four, maybe it's five. And we have to do a little bit more analysis. But um, New York City has one school district, and they have, you know, 8 million people living in New York City. So you know, this, this, you know, uh, this, this situation where we have this antiquated uh, system of dividing communities based on uh, geographic boundaries in school districts doesn't make sense to me anymore. And, you know, during the election, COVID will obviously still be something people talk about. And I'm going to phrase the question this way. Uh, What would you say to New Yorkers? Uh, Because I feel once we do get back to normal, everyone's going to have in the back of their mind, all it's going to take is an outbreak and I'll lose my business again. I'll be stuck at home again. So what's the message to New Yorkers so they can go about their day without that fear that uh, another outbreak can lock them down again? Well, I think we all have to be continue to be vigilant, Joe, and we have to, you know, un- understand what the CTC is telling us, uh, what the NIH is telling us, and uh, to follow those protocols as best we can. Um, you know, I have been paying very much attention to this because of my recent uh, kidney transplant and my immune system, so I obviously have to be a lot more careful than maybe the average person. Um, but we, we all have to do our part. If we all do our part, I think we'll get through this and we'll be able to get uh, the economy up and running again. All right, Joel, I I ended my interview with Lee Zeldin this way. I will do it the same with you. Uh, What is the message to the voters? What's the last thing you want to say before we wrap this up? Well, the message is uh, change should not be viewed as uh, revolutionary. It should be viewed as evolutionary. And if we want to win Republicans, if they want to win a statewide election, you have to change the playbook because if we do it the same way, as Albert Einstein said, 
If you do things the same way and you, you expect a different result, it's insanity. Let's not be insane. Let's change the playbook and find the right candidate. Well, Joel, it was great to hear from you. Hopefully we are talking to you again very soon. Thank you, Joel. Have a great day. Thank you. Joel Giambra running for that GOP New York State uh, governor plan. And tell me what you think. 803-0930 on the Volkswagen of Orchard Park text board opening that primary to more than just the 22 percent of the state that's registered as Republican. When we come back, guess what? School zone cameras. Yes, they are back in the news or still in the news. I'm not sure they actually ever left. Uh, Council member Rashid Wyatt is here. He had a proposal that passed in the Common Council, but now it's in limbo and those cameras are still on. We're talking about that next here on Hardline. Welcome back. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. Hardline here on News Radio 930. WBEN, last week, the Buffalo Common Council voted 6-3 to three to end the program. But as we sit here right now, the program has not ended. The person who introduced that resolution, Councilmember Rashid Wyatt, joining us from the University District. Councilmember, good morning. Good morning, Joe. Uh, so give us an update. We're still talking about the cameras. Now, it passed, your resolution passed to end the program. What exactly was your resolution? Well, the, ro- the resolution was to eliminate, remove the cameras, and put non-punitive means in place, meaning speed humps, um, have beacons, um, crosswalks, um, all those things that we normally should have or we could put in place. Um, to keep our children safe and not to be giving people who live in one of the poorest cities in the nation um, $50 fines in the midst of a pandemic. And as of now, that resolution, not only has it not been signed by the mayor, but at last I heard, it hasn't even reached the mayor's desk? Well, he can refuse it all he wants. It was it was submitted to him, and he has 10 days to, to do something on it. And if he doesn't... Um, that's his choice, but then it goes into effect. Um, he wants to say that the attorneys have told him that something wasn't done appropriately. Well, fortunately for us, we do have a, a, a um, attorney on our staff, 
um, and he gave, gave us some advice. And we also seeked out com- um, opinions from others who know this type of law, and they all feel we're on solid footing. So he's the only one in the room that feels like we did something wrong. And so before it's signed, so even though it passed the council, if you go over the speed limit, you get caught on that camera, it is still giving fines out as of right now? Yes. And and to be quite honest, that will still take place for a number of months. But the one thing that we looked at, we tried to get this passed early on so the administration can put those other non-punitive measures in place before the next for the fall, before school starts in September. So we were doing, trying to be as responsible as we can. Um, the administration is going to also have to inform the vendor that their service services will no longer be needed. So they'll have an opportunity to give them the 60-day notice that's appropriate. So we've done all that we can. It's just the mayor wants to continue to drag his feet on this issue when it's so very, very, very unpopular. And I just can't imagine that he would keep trying to fight this when we can do this another way and it could be more effective because the speed humps are there 24 7. it's not a point in time when people will get tickets um, but it could be an opportunity for people just to, to be responsible and drive not only during school hours but even after hours when people are still walking in our neighborhoods now you said in 10 days if the mayor doesn't sign it it does go into effect does that mean the other parts of the resolution like the speed humps would start going to affect those uh, construction plans would be in place to get those speed humps in those areas well the legislation is asking that and again it's up to the administration once we pass this law to put it in effect um, in my capital budget i've already asked for speed humps so i'm expecting speed humps to be everywhere in the university district but this particular plan dealing with the 20 cameras that are currently in effect, um, we're asking for in those areas to make certain that we have speed humps and other measures to make sure our children are st- stay safe. Now, you said you would give a 60-day notice to the company that takes care of these cameras. Would there also be another, another charge from that company to end the program that the uh, city would be looking at? No, we can we can cancel the program with 60 days notice without having an additional charge. That That's the contract. So um, we, we hope that the city will take advantage of that and make certain that there are no further charges or any lawsuits against us because we're giving them advance notice. And it's in the end of a school year. And um, unfortunately, well, unfortunately, um, our children weren't even in school. Um, but for people who were getting these tickets, you would think that we had a f- whole school, um, schools full of students, and that wasn't the case all year long. So we need to end this program so that people can stop getting $50 fines. Now, I got to ask you, um, as you said, it would end if the mayor doesn't sign it, or if he does, the resolution passed, it passed 6-3 to three in the council. Uh, do you think once that 10 days passes, it's the end we'll hear of, this ca- of these cameras, or do you think the mayor plus the three that did not vote for the resolution are going to try to push this, uh, try to keep these cameras in effect, or do you think, you know, even though the mayor's dragging his feet, even though it hasn't been signed, these cameras are coming to an end? Yeah, I, I think these cameras are coming to an end. I think the mayor is going to continue to fight this issue. Um, unfortunately, even though the people in the in our community, the city of Buffalo, and even in the outskirts, have said that it was a bad program, it's poorly um, ran, and um, it's just time to put an end to it. And and when there's other means, I'm just, I guess I'm just flabbergasted that he's fighting so hard against this program when there are other reasonable methods to put in place that don't penalize people. He supported the Fair Fines and Fees group 
um, reducing fines and those things. And here we are putting another fine in place of the fines that he reduced. So it's just not a good look. And um, again, it just kind of, to me, insults the injury that people in the midst of a pandemic still have to deal with $50 fines when our schools aren't even fully at capacity right now. It is interesting that we've been talking about this with uh, half empty schools and, as you said, a pandemic where a lot of people uh, haven't even gotten back to work yet. Speaking of the pandemic, council member, I'd like to know, uh, you know, we're hearing a lot about COVID vaccine hesitancy. And I want to know if you've seen that in your district. Um, I, I guess I have. Um, but I do know that there are people who were hesitant to who are now coming around seeing that this is an opportunity for them to get back to normal. And I'm just encouraging people, get the vaccine. I, I know the hesitancy, um, but it can save lives. And if you, and I mean, it doesn't stop you from getting um, the infection, but it will make it um, uh, less severe. And that's important. So I want to get that message out to the citizens in the university district that um, if you have been hesitant, you know, please rethink it, um, because we know that those numbers continue to go up. And people continue to die from this um, this deadly virus. And how have you seen the vaccine rollouts throughout the city? Have they been uh, pretty well organized and getting people right in and right out? Yeah, I mean, I, a couple of weeks ago, I got my vaccine, and um, it, it it was pretty. It ran pretty well, and I'm I'm very happy that um, it seems to be going in all the areas in which there were concerns before. Um, so I'm really happy that um, we're seem to be right on track. And, and being available to people who may not have transportation. Now, I, I want to ask you this, and th- this this might be a loaded question that you don't have an opinion on, and that is fine. Uh, but we did hear from the county executive about the stadium and the arena, uh, which obviously are owned by the county. But the ballpark downtown being owned by the city, uh, would you, if the Blue Jays do come to town, which is still just a rumor, if the Blue Jays do come to town this summer, would you support something like Mark Polenkars' plan to have vaccinated uh, passes so you could get more people into the ballpark to see the Blue Jays this summer? You know what, honestly, whatever measures that we can take um, to put to get people more inclined to get vaccinated, I'm willing to do. And if that's what it takes, absolutely because we really want to eradicate this virus and we can't do so if we still have a population of people who are, who are um, still susceptible to getting um, the, the um, infection. And so if that's a, a means to get people more vaccinated, I'm definitely supportive of it. You know, I've heard this a lot. Speaking of the vaccine, uh, I've heard a lot of people say, well, you know, at a certain point, we are going to have to say everyone's had the chance of the vaccine. The people who didn't get it are going to have to assume the risk. We have to get back to normal. What's your opinion on there? Is there a month? Is there a time when we say we've had the vaccines open to everyone? We have to start getting back to normal. Um, I, I just think that we have to continue the, the effort to getting everyone vaccinated. I, I don't think we can pause it. I don't think we can stop it. I don't think that we can just sit back and say, okay, we got enough people vaccinated because it's still dangerous. And the variant that they keep speaking of um, can continue to thrive. So I don't think that we can pause this. I think this is still very, very dangerous as we see the numbers in um, Erie County continue to go up. Um, I think that we must still keep a full court press on this process and making certain that um, everyone that we can get vaccinated gets vaccinated. I don't think we can ever close the door on it because from what Dr. Fauci and the the experts are saying, this still is dangerous and it can flare up anywhere. 
And because we don't know all the details about how long this um, vaccine um, will last, um, I think it's too, it, there's too many unknowns right now for us to back off. I think we have to go as far as we can um, to get as many people vaccinated as we can. All right, council member, I just have one one more question, you know, uh, nationwide with the uh, result of the Derek Chauvin trial on Tuesday, uh, police reform is back in in the news. And I just want to know your thoughts on the Buffalo police reform. How's that going? And how much further do you think the Buffalo police uh, have to to get those reform measures that we've seen uh, throughout the country? Well, we have a long way to go on that. Let me just tell you, um, the council passed something that the mayor had put forth. Um, there were a number of council members that didn't agree with it. I don't think it went far enough. Um, I think that um, we have to have more public conversation. Um, the city of Buffalo had five conversations. Um, Albany had 60. Um, I, I think that shows a tremendous disparity. It seems as though we don't really um, have a great interest in reform, um, but I'm so proud to say that um, our New York State Attorney General sent us a letter and talked about how inadequate our proposal was. And so I'm excited about the opportunity to restart this conversation and to do it the right way. I think the Chauvin trial and these other um, shootings that have happened afterwards cause for us to take advantage of this day. This is a significant opportunity. It may not come around again for another 100 years. And now that the Congress is looking at the George Floyd um, police reforms, we must take full advantage of it. And again, this is not anti-police. This is for police. This is to make certain that they have every tool that they need, but also an opportunity for us to engage the citizens. We can't have citizens against police and police against citizens. We all have to be on the same page because this is the United States of America. So I'm looking forward to those conversations. And I think those advocates who have stood out there and protested peacefully um, for their efforts, because we want to make certain that this United States serves every single citizen, Blacks, Asians, Hispanics, every group, whites, everybody. And I think, again, working together works. Councilmember Rashid Wyatt, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Thank you. That is University District Councilmember Rashid Wyatt joining me. It is Hardline with Joe Beamer and Brenda Alacy. Brenda? Still recovering here on WBEN. Welcome back. It is Hardline on News Radio 930 WBEN. We talked about it with Councilmember Rashid Wyatt. Here is Susan and Brian talking to Brad Garrett about the outcome of the Chauvin trial and police reform around the United States of America. Brad Garrett, crime and terrorism analyst, is our guest right now after the Chauvin verdict and uh, kind of time to assess what happens next. You know, Brad, this is treated as kind of this landmark decision, uh, you know, a moment in history by a lot of people. Um, and then you have uh, people like uh, I'm accused of being sometimes the skeptic who says, what really changes going forward? Um, initially, looking at this, what does this tell you about what changes there might be um, in terms of policing, in terms of how officers are held accountable for use of force going forward? So, Brian, I don't think that just the conviction of Derek Chauvin will really have much impact on officers using excessive force and or deadly force. I mean, there are things that just have to change within departments. Uh, For example, accountability. If you look at officers that end up in situations, and, you know, let's face it, 
the Derek Chauvin case is so egregious uh, and, you know, so over the top in even the idea that you would use any form of, of excessive or deadly force. So you, have, you, you sort of have to set it aside and say, okay, the everyday officer that gets into situations where they may be forced to use dead, deadly force, and it's clear they had no option, to, well, were there other options? And so it, when you look at people like Chauvin and other officers, many of them have track records of excessive force complaints. How accountable have they been held to those complaints? either by the police department and or whether the police union and the contract that the police union have with the police department, whether they're allowed to discipline in a certain way or keep track of uh, excessive force and really sort of proactively deal with officers that have problems. Uh, and that's one side of it. You know, there's a very long list of what can potentially be done to, to reduce excessive force. But I think this is one of the bigger ones is accountability and perhaps the relationship or the limitations that contracts via police unions place on police departments. We talked, uh, Brad, with the chairman of the Buffalo Police Oversight Committee this morning who mentioned a, a list of things that have really been implemented in the past year in Buffalo and things that they're considering. But he said de-escalation training is at the top of the list. How do you teach de-escalation techniques? Well, they're fairly easy to teach. They're much more difficult to get people to implement them. You know, police historically tend not to follow training to the extent that you would like them to, that they learn a certain way to do things and they continue to do them despite the training. There's a fascinating, there's more than one study that supports what I'm about to say that Police officers who tend to to use excessive force in situations where it's not necessary, then the people they work with end up doing the same thing. In other words, the incident of, of, of excessive force by officers working with officers who have a history of excessive force, it, you know, it, it sort of, it, it, unfortunately, it, it breeds on each other. And so I'm only using that as an example of these are things you have to address early on in a police officer's career. And because of barriers, obstacles, and sometimes the personality of the officer themselves makes it a real challenge. We're uh, at the same time that the verdict uh, came down on Tuesday. We hear about this incident over in Columbus, Ohio, that although it appears to be so drastically different than what happened in Derek Chauvin's case, for a lot of people, it's almost lumped into the same category. I I mean, for all appearances, and we don't know, you know, if there was another use of force that was available at the time, but from everything you see in this video, a police officer stops somebody from, you know, really wounding another person with a knife um, in, you know, a kind of a split-second decision. I, yeah. uh, I Is there a way to stop every use of force uh, from a police officer from kind of falling into that same discussion, or, or is there no room for nuance anymore in, you know, any of our discussions? Well, I do think there's there's room for discussion. I think that the the hostility toward law enforcement uh, that then translates into the officers feeling frustrated, isolated, 
them against us doesn't help because that raises the temperature, obviously, and their anger and rage potentially toward a, a it may be a particular community. So, uh, yes, you can people, as I mentioned earlier, de-escalation skills, you can hold them more accountable, but you also have to make law enforcement more appealing to people who want to be police officers. We're in a real dilemma in this country in getting people to want to be police officers, mainly because of what the three of us are talking about. Uh, others is that they, they, they feel like that the system won't back them up if something bad happens, and that's also driving people away. There's a balance to all of these things, but we, sh- we clearly have not gotten to that point yet. What has been the impact of body cams in this? You know, what's interesting, Susan, is that the studies of body cams basically say it has no effect on officers' behavior. I mean, let's face it, in the last year, how many videos have we all seen of police shootings, use of excessive force that were caught on body cameras? And so that does not appear to be effective as far as if you're trying to reduce uh, excessive or deadly force. I will tell you, though, that by and large, body cameras are extremely helpful in prosecuting people because it lays out, obviously, what the officer's doing, but it clearly lays out what the, the suspect is doing. And so it, it, it sort of it, it cuts both ways, but it tends to go more toward uh, what prosecutors can use in a trial. Brad, thank you. That's Brad Garrett, crime and terrorism analyst, joining us live this morning. And when we come back, we are speaking with Mike Cornell. He is the superintendent at Hamburg Schools, but also the president of the Erie Niagara Superintendent Association. It is Hardline on WBEN.